Dell TechFest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Today on Something You Should Know, is there still a landline telephone in your house? I'll tell you who still has one and who doesn't. Then, the truth about body language, because there are a lot of myths. There are no absolutes in body language. Just because someone scratches their nose, it doesn't mean they're lying, and it doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Most of the time, their nose itches. I've trained federal judges who thought if you look up and to the left, you're not telling the truth. That's not true at all. Also, you're probably keeping too many receipts for too long. I'll tell you which ones you can throw out right now. And how to manage your network of contacts, because one day you will need them. When I've had big issues in my business or in my personal life, the number one thing that has gotten me through these is being able to lean on my network. It's been like an insurance policy that money could never buy. All this today on Something You Should Know. Always find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or Chardonnay. Or maybe you're more of a whiskey drinker. One of their single-barrel bourbons is sure to please. With a little help from one of their friendly guides, find the perfect bottle that's just right for you. Hosting friends or family and don't have time to shop in-store? No problem. Total Wine & More makes it easy to get everything you need for any occasion with curbside pickup and delivery. But you know what the best thing about shopping at Total Wine & More is? that every bottle comes with the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find, only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Something You Should Know, fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome to Something You Should Know. I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but there once was a time that in almost every home, there was a landline telephone. It was the main telephone for everyone in the house. One phone number and everyone in the house used it. Then along came the cell phone and everything started to change. Here's how. So in 2004, over 90% of U.S. households had a landline telephone. Today, as cell phone use continues to grow, the number of homes with a landline is about 40%. And that number looks to keep dropping. According to a recent survey, well over half of all households in the United States have only cell phones, while 6.5% of households have only a landline telephone with no cell phones. And 3.2% of households have no phone of any kind at all. And that is something you should know. Is body language really a useful tool in determining what people are thinking or telling if someone is lying? Can a person's physical movements or how they hold their body really telegraph what's going on in their head? Maybe, but it isn't as simple as if someone crosses their arms, that means they're bored or closed off, or if someone refuses to look you in the eye, it means they're lying. It's more complicated than that, according to Scott Rouse, 
Scott is a behavior analyst and body language expert who holds multiple certificates in advanced interrogation training, and he is trained alongside the FBI, the Secret Service, and U.S. military intelligence. He has a really interesting YouTube channel, and he is author of a book called Understanding Body Language, How to Decode Nonverbal Communication in Life, Love, and Work. Hi, Scott. Welcome to Something You Should Know. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So I think everybody's heard those things about body language that, you know, if someone is talking and they look up and to the left, that that means something. Or, like I said, if they cross their arms, they're closed off, which from what I've heard and read isn't necessarily true, that you can't make general assumptions based on things like that. And, and if you can't make assumptions like that, then what is body language good for? All it does is give you a pretty good idea of what that person is thinking and what they might do next. That's basically what you're looking at. And the, as far as the myths go, those those are two you just nailed, two of the big ones. Like crossing your arms, it means you're not uh, listening or you're not into what that person has to say or you're closed off. It can mean that sometimes, but sometimes it means you're cold. Sometimes it means that's more comfortable. And the the whole looking up and up to, up into the left and all, and all that, that's... There's nothing there. People do, a lot of times, they'll look, they'll look down to the right for emotional things. They'll look um, at a specific place when they're thinking about uh, sounds or, or recalling a sound. But no, but we all don't go to the same places each time. You cannot count on that every time. It, that's, a, that's a dangerous trap to step into. There is this belief, though, I think many people have, I've heard it all my life, that much of what people communicate is nonverbal, that when you're listening to someone talk, you're watching them, that a portion of what you take from them is the words they say, a portion is, you know, how they say it, and and another portion is, you know, how they hold themselves. So what what about that? There's a guy named Professor Morabian, and he, you may have heard the um, thing he came up with called the, the rule that everybody uses called the 738.55 rule of communication. And that says that communication is 7% the words we use, 38% the tone of voice we use, and then the rest of the 55%, uh, the rest of it is body language. That's how we communicate. And I heard that back in the 80s. And I, so I called him up. I'm, I'm the worst at calling people up and saying, hey, tell me about this. So I called him up and said, listen, I've been, been reading this, these, about these studies you did. What, what's going on here? This doesn't sound right to me. And he said, listen, it's not right. Somebody's taken the information I've, I've, these studies I've done, and they put two of them together. And somehow they've come up with this 738.55 rule that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. And if you get a chance, you tell everybody you know or you talk to about this that, that I don't believe this. And my name is always attributed to the person that came up with that. I did a whole TEDx talk on that. So what does body language tell us? What, what is it that we can decipher or not decipher? What specifically does it do? Well, in my job as an interrogator, I use it in a, in a tactful uh, sense where I will, I'll ask questions I know the answers to, and I'll see how that person reacts to those questions that, that I know they know the answers to, and then I'll have questions that I know they don't know the answers to, like questions I'll, about places I would make up. As I'm talking to them and we're getting ready to get started, I like to spend 10 or 15 minutes just talking to them, and you get what's called a baseline when they're not nervous, they're not being put on the spot, and you see that, you remember all the things, how they acted when you asked them questions that you know they knew the answer to and they answered correctly, and the ones you knew they didn't know the answer to. And you, you keep that in mind as a baseline for the way they behaved. And then when you get to the point where you're talking about uh, what, they're supposedly, what they've supposedly done, what they're suspected of doing as you speak with them, then you can see how their body language changes. They may do things to, to uh, guard themselves. They may bring their, their arms in closer to their chest, for example. Um, and that's what your brain does when it feels threatened. It'll, it starts guarding your, your lungs and your heart and your stomach. Or they may be using what are called adapters. And adapters are the things, these little repetitive movements people make that get rid of that built-up stress, tension, or energy uh, from the questioning. As they're, try, as they're thinking, as, they're, as they begin to worry about something, as stress builds, for example, they may start uh, shaking their foot on, you know, jiggling their foot on the ground. Or they may start rubbing their arm or their hands. Or they may just a little bit start biting the side of their mouth. Those are the things that... The, when you see those, these repetitive pacifying behaviors, those let you know that person 
is under stress. It doesn't mean they're lying. It doesn't mean they're telling the truth. It just means there's an issue there. There are no absolutes in body language. Just because someone scratches their nose, it doesn't mean they're, they're lying and it doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Most of the time, their nose itches. I've, I've trained federal judges who thought if you look up and to the left, you're not telling the truth. And we all know from studies now, that's not true at all, not even a little bit. Well, I understand, and, and I've heard from other people, that body language is a useful tool by the police and in, in interrogations and perhaps in court. But most of the time, I'm not with the police or in court or being interrogated. What about in just kind of everyday life? I, I think a lot of people, for example, believe that you can tell a lot about someone's truthfulness by their eye contact. Most, yeah, most people are under the impression that liars, when you ask them a question, that when they lie, they break eye contact. That's the last thing they're going to do. Because what their brain wants to do is look at you and make sure you believe them. Because you're going to make a, a face like, what? Or you may look like you don't believe them, and they want to add what are called qualifiers to that answer to make them their answer more believable to you. You're right. Certainly, most people think that, you know, if you're lying, you can't look me in the eye. And that's what that, yeah, I guess, yeah. where that comes from. But you're saying that that's, well, it does seem that people, when they're lying, maybe don't look you in the eye when they're talking. Maybe they look you in the eye when they're looking to see how you react to what they said. Right. They'll look at, they want to see how you look. Their brain wants to see how you react, what your reaction is to their answer. So that's because they may want to add qualifiers to it. So their answer will sound more believable. So, and they won't blink a lot either. The blink rate goes really down when that happens because their brain is trying to keep an eye on you. But couldn't it just be that the person cares about how you react to what they said? It's not that they're lying. They just really want to get a sense of if we're on the same page. Of course. So that's why you want to know what answer, what questions to ask next. If you and I were, were, were to look at a video of somebody who, if they're lying or telling the truth, and they were asked a question and they gave the answer, the odds of you getting that are 50-50. The odds of me getting it are 60-40. I'm not, I wouldn't be much better than you. But the key here is knowing what questions to answer to ask next and get those reactions. So you start looking for, for not just the one reaction you can't tell. You have to look for several. And then you start putting those reactions over into a little pile that says this person may not be telling the truth. And so what, what do you, how do you develop that series of questions? What, what comes next when after you've asked, does, does anybody know where this thing is? Well, let's, for example, if I go into a bank and I'm asked to find the person who's embezzling there and they say it could be one of, of these seven to ten people, well, I'll get each one of them by themselves and I'll ask them a few questions. And the ones that react, like we talked earlier, if they don't blink a whole lot and they look right at me, their answers are really, um, they go overboard explaining, then if the answer is no, it should be no. And if they say no because of this and they add all this stuff to it, then that's just that just goes in the little pile of, of they may have done this. So I keep asking questions to see if I keep getting those reactions from that person. And then I get rid of the two or three or four or five that answered very quickly and, and I didn't get the feeling they were being dishonest and whittle it down to the, to the two, three or four that I think might have been the person that did it. And then very quickly you can get through those because your questions get a little more pointed. What else can you tell about if anything about eye contact, whether people break it or whether they overdo it, is, is, is there any other telltale signs there? Well, it's, it's eye contact is, is really important because that's, you're looking right at the person, they're looking at you, you know, they're, they're close and you're looking at them face to face and the person wants to look like they're telling you the truth. So there are, that's one of the reasons they don't look away because they know, you know, or they know you think people break eye contact when they're not telling you the truth. So one of the things you want to look for in that instance is as you st first start speaking with them, what's their, their blink rate? Keep an eye on them. See, how, see, see if they're blinking a whole lot. That denotes nervousness. And if their blink rate doesn't go up really high, you, can, you may be able to say, okay, that person probably is probably telling me the truth. But if you're asking two or three uh, people at the same time, see if their arms move. See if, if, if 
see if they go into a protective mode. They may not cross their arms all the way, but they may turn sideways just a little bit. And when they answer your question, a lot of times you'll hear what are called fading facts. As they give you an answer, they get quieter and quieter and quieter as the answer goes along. Not that much, but you'll notice that it gets quieter as they go along. And they may back up just, a, they lean back just a little bit. It's very subtle, but those are the, some of the things you, you want to pay attention to when you first ask the question. Body language and nonverbal communication is what we're talking about today, and my guest is Scott Rouse. The name of his book is Understanding Body Language, How to Decode Nonverbal Communication in Life, Love, and Work. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. So, Scott, can we talk about body language, not so much as it relates to lying, because, you know, that's certainly important, but there's, isn't there a lot mm -hmm. more to this in terms of, like, wh what you can tell about whether a person likes you or wants to talk to you, or aren't there a lot of other things body language says besides I'm lying or I'm not lying? Let's talk about the eyebrows out of the gate, because there's something that everyone does. You do it, too. I do it. Everybody does. It's called the eyebrow flash. When you see someone you know from across the room and you haven't seen them in a while or you're at the mall or you're at a restaurant and you see them, you do a quick eyebrow flash. Your eyebrows go up and back down and they will do it too if they know you. So it's sort of a recognition thing. You'll see that. So if you look at someone and their eyebrows go up, think, oh no, I should know that person, but I can't remember who they are. Oh no, here they come. So it's sort of get, you can sort of get prepped for that. And you can do that to people you don't know just to watch them do it if you wanted to. <laughs> Talk about this idea I've heard about mirroring, that if you want to connect with somebody, you mirror the gestures and the things they're doing. Matching and mirroring is when you match the way someone sounds, the vernacular they're using, and then you mirror the way they look, what they're doing as well. If you've ever been sitting with someone, you may cross your leg toward them, you may put your arm on the side of, on the, on the arm of the chair, and you may put your hand on your on your left knee. And after a few minutes, you'll notice maybe they're doing the same thing. People who really like each other, people who get along great, they will match or they will mirror each other's body language, what they're, well, how the other person looks. If you're standing talking to someone and you have both hands on your hips, in a couple of minutes, they may have their hands on their hips as well. And if you meet someone for the first time and as you speak with them, they'll feel more comfortable. Their brain sees you almost as a reflection of themselves and it makes them more comfortable because that's the way people act when they like each other as they start mirroring each other. So knowing that, can you then deliberately even artificially mirror somebody to create a connection that might not otherwise get created? Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Especially in an interrogation situation when they start to calm down some and you want to give them the impression that you're, that you're there to help them, which you are. You're there to find out what happened. Or if you're in a business situation, you're meeting someone for the first time, that's, it's a very powerful tool. Another powerful tool is when you match the way they sound with, with the words they're saying. Most, most people will fall under three categories. You've got visual, audio, and then kinesthetic. 
visual people will talk, they'll say things like, oh, I see what you're saying. That looks good to me. They'll, they'll deal with the way things look. And the audio, the audio person, the auditory person will say, that sounds good. Oh, I hear you. That they'll use terms that, that are, that deal with that. The kinesthetic person say that feels good. Or, um, that's, he's a little bit rough around the edges, but I think it, things will smooth out as, as he grows older. If you, if you listen long enough, you'll figure out which one of those uh, categories the person falls under and you start speaking in terms of seeing, hearing, or feeling as well. It could be emotional feeling or the way something feels, a, a tactile feeling. So that'll, once you start matching and, and matching them with your vernacular, and then you start mirroring them physically, that's when a bond starts being created when you first meet someone. What about posture? It seems like when you see somebody slouching or when you see someone standing erect with really good posture that that that's sending a message uh posture is good it shows you're paying it indicates you're paying attention if someone's all slouched as you're talking to them they may look too relaxed if you're giving them important information if the alpha person say the boss or the or it's the person in charge is giving you information you're slouched down you, you just look like you don't care at that point but if you straighten up and have good posture as they give you this information, especially if you were slouch, slouching before, that's the best thing. So as soon as they start talking, you straighten up a little bit. That lets them know you're listening and gives them the impression that you're interested in what they have to say as well when you do that. If you're if you're trying to give someone the impression you're listening, just tilt one of your ears toward them, your right ear, your left ear toward them, whatever your good ear is, as you listen to them and put your eyebrows up and shake your head up and down a little bit. It works wonders. And then when you start talking, do the same thing. There are very subtle things you can use to help enhance the impression you're trying to get across to that person. What else, what other nonverbal things have you observed or witnessed that seem to have a real impact with people? Well, there's something called that I've coined called the slow and tiny smile. If you see someone and all of a sudden you have a really quick smile on your face, they see that as a smile and it's fine. But what happens is if you start a slow smile when you see them, like it's dawning on you all these, this time you've spent with them and you've had fun with them, they remind you of whatever, that's a different thing. Because it, they keep watching to see where that expression is going to go, so you you hold their, their attention a little bit more. Very charismatic people are that way. They don't put on like a real, if you go to the Apple store and they go, hello, can I help you? And that really quick, big smile comes on, that's, that, that's the salesman smile. But if you put one on really slowly, as, you, as when you first see someone, that let that gives them the feeling that you know them, as well as those eyebrows. We talked about the eyebrow flash being up. From that person's perspective, there's an emotional connection there. What about feet? I've heard I've heard it said that you know if you watch a person's feet, if if they if they're trying to escape a conversation, their feet will be pointing not at the person they're talking to, but where they want to go. Is that is that a fair conclusion? Oh yeah. Yeah, you can you'll you'll see that when you, as you speak with someone who may seem like they're something may not be right as you're talking to them. They may be standing too straight and they may be looking at you too strong. See where their feet are pointing. If they're pointing toward the door and they're not just all the way over toward the door, but they may be headed that way a little bit. That's what's on their mind. Let them go. Let them say, "Hey man, it looks like you're in a hurry. We'll talk about this later." If you're in a standing in a group of people, uh, let's say there's four people standing there and one of them's a girl or a woman and one guy has his feet pointed toward that woman. That's the one he's focusing on and the person in, in the conversation he's focusing on the most. It's one of the last things people think about is to look at someone's feet, where they are and where they're pointed and what they're, and what they're actually doing. A lot of times, like on a date, for example, you're trying to read whether the other person is into you. Like, if are they really interested in what it is you have to say and who you are? So what do you look for? What do you look for in determining if people like you? Most of the things we've talked about will let you know whether they're into you, quote unquote, or not. You'll see their their feet would be should be pointed pointed toward you as you, as you speak with them. They may have their hand a little just a little bit further out than it than it would normally be toward your space a little bit. Getting in there, they'll be right looking right at you, and most of the time their eyebrows will be up. Most of the time, when a guy sees sees a girl that they're interested in, or the and the girl starts talking to him, when those when the, when the guy's eyebrows go up, if you're if you're a woman, that shows that that he's attracted to you. Uh, another thing you want to look for is, is they're called barriers, where the person, 
as you are sitting on the table, you may put your arm in front of you. It's not bad. It doesn't mean every time that that person is not into you, but it's one of the little barriers you want to get out of the way. Continue to speak with you and try to get them to stop that. And you do that by you can put your arm on the table and as you as you connect with them really big, then you take your arm off the table and see if they're mirroring what you're doing because that's what you want is to get that person to start mirroring you. Are there big gender differences in body language? Do men do things that women don't and vice versa? There's one thing that women will do quite often that men don't do, and it only because it's the length of their hair, I'm sure. And they'll pull their hair behind their ear as the, as the guy is talking to them. That would denote, it would indicate attraction because there's, at that point they'll show their neck a little bit and they're showing their ear and the side of their face. So the, and their wrist as they do that. So that's, that's two or three things that let you know that that person is, is interested or attracted to you. What's the one thing you want people to really take away from this discussion about, about body language? That there are no absolutes in body language. Just because someone scratches their nose, just because someone breaks eye contact with you, it doesn't mean they're lying and it doesn't mean they're telling the truth. It depends on the situation that's going on around that and what you're asking that person, what the conversation is. There are no absolutes. That's the most important thing to remember. Great. Well, this is really interesting, and I like that you were able to explode some of the myths about body language that, that I've believed in the past, and I think a lot of people operate with that just, just aren't true. My guest has been Scott Rouse. He is a behavior analyst and body language expert who holds multiple certificates in advanced interrogation training. He has a YouTube channel, and he's author of the book, Understanding Body Language, How to Decode Nonverbal Communication in Life, Love, and Work. And there's a link to his YouTube channel and a link to his book at Amazon in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, Scott. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on here. And I, I'm really looking forward. To, I, I listen to your stuff all the time, so I'm really looking forward to hearing me <laughs> on, uh, and you talking to me, as odd as that sounds. So thank you. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. You have contacts, people you know. Whether you're actively and purposely going out and cultivating those contacts, or more informally, they're just the people in your life. Your contacts, your network of people, can be a tremendous resource to help you get ahead. To which you might be thinking right now, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like networking. And I don't know a lot of people who really love the idea of networking. They feel like they don't do it enough. They feel like they don't do it right. They're not, they're not even sure how to do it in the first place. So I want you to meet someone who really knows how to do it. He trains people to do it, and he does it himself very effectively. He is Jordan Harbinger. Jordan is a Wall Street lawyer turned podcast host. He is host of the very successful podcast called... The Jordan Harbinger Show. He also speaks and offers courses, one of which is called Six Minute Networking. Hey, Jordan, welcome to Something You Should Know. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So the image I think people have, I guess the image I have of networking is you go to an event, you hand out business cards, you collect other people's business cards, you meet people who you almost immediately forget about, and frankly, a lot of it seems like a big waste of time. Yeah, I am totally with you. I think when people think networking, they go, oh, I don't want to have to do that because it seems slimy. And it's kind of the, the reason why 
sales often seems slimy because when we think sales, we think of the worst example of the person who's done it, right? We don't think, oh, that nice guy who helped me figure out which washing machine was the best one for my house who worked at that appliance store. We think, oh, when I walked onto that used car lot, they just pounced on me and he was like all in my psychological space and he was pressuring my son to buy this and it was just disgusting. We think of that. We don't think of the people that were so skilled that we didn't realize they were selling to us because they were actually giving value. And networking is the same way. When we think of networking, we don't think, oh, this is the guy who helped me find my web designer, and then he helped me find uh, a good show producer. What a nice guy. They think, oh, this is the guy who I saw at that cocktail mixer who threw a business card in my face and it like melted in my hand because he'd printed it off on his inkjet printer. And then he called me 17 times and he added me to his email newsletter without my permission. You know, we think of those people. And, and that's fair because, again, we're thinking of the worst example of what we can find in a given category. But networking is it. So networking for that reason has become a dirty word. But it's really relationship development. And that's a better but far less catchy term for networking. And and that's why it's not always so gross. The the people who are very skilled at it, you just think that they're really helpful, friendly, nice people, right? You you don't even notice that they're quote unquote networking. So the trick is to be one of those friendly, nice people, yes? Ideally, yeah, if you can, right? And and I think that if you can't, then you shouldn't do it at all. <laughs> but but no, but really the idea is you should build enough skills so that when you do this, and that's what we're going to talk about today, right? But the, you should build enough skills that when you do this, people don't notice that you are actively network building. And you shouldn't even really be thinking about it either. Because what you're, you're not looking at what's in it for you. You're actually looking to help other people without the attachment to getting something in return. And so what is it? What, what is it to be a relationship builder? Because you do what? It's really about creating opportunities for other people, not just for yourself. And what I mean by this is digging the well before you're thirsty. So this is creating relationships before you need them. And the reason that that's important, a lot of people will say, well, why do I have to start this now? You know, I'm in school or I'm secure in my job. I'll start networking when I start to look for another job. That is the definition of doing things backwards, right? Now you're digging a well because you're thirsty. You got laid off, now you want to network. We all know what it feels like to get a phone call from somebody who you haven't heard from in five years, and they're like, hey, Michael, what's going on? And you're thinking, okay. And as soon as they ask you for something, you immediately close up shop, right? And you get turned off and you never want to talk to them again. But what would it be like if this was a person that you'd talk to every three, six months for the last two, three years, and then they went, hey, I hate to ask, do you know anybody who's hiring in this industry? You would want to help them because you know that your relationship with them is not transactional, right? Because they've built that relationship with you over time. So it's kind of like that Chinese proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is right now. And when you decide that you want to do this, how do you know who to go build relationships with that may someday turn into that tree? What I would start off doing is uh, an exercise that I call layoff lifelines. And so what this is, is you imagine that your business goes bust or that you get laid off from your job today. Who are the 15 or so people that you would contact today or tomorrow to figure out what your next steps should be? And you, you know, you're getting advice. Who are these people? It's going to be, oh, right, my neighbor's dad, the kid I was growing up with, his dad was a successful entrepreneur. Hey, wasn't such and such professor at the school that I went to, I took his class. I think he also owned a business. That's why he taught entrepreneurship. And what about my guidance counselor from back at university? I should contact him as well. He was well-networked and well-liked. What about my old roommate? His family was well-connected and, you know, they had this. And it's like you really start to think of people that you never thought of before who maybe your old boss, people who are important, but that you didn't really prioritize. So you make that list of people now and you reach out to them now before you need something. So this is, you don't have an agenda. You don't need anything specifically. Um, these are important, but dormant network ties. And so it's less awkward reaching out now because you might even say, hey, I'm reaching out because I've done a really terrible job keeping in touch 
I never thought of myself as a networker. I always hated the word, but I'm reaching out now because you are an awesome boss and I'd love to keep in touch and find out what you're up to. Uh, don't, don't worry if you don't have time to get back to me right away. Uh, I realize you're busy. You know, you sort of let them answer on their own terms. No urgency, no get back to me right away. I've got a great opportunity for you. You know, that's what clumsy salespeople do. We're just trying to build the relationship. And it's very easy to try and hide the ball, which makes people suspicious. Like, why is this person reaching out now? So what I recommend is you can literally show them your cards, right? Say that you've done a bad job keeping in touch. Say you're not good at networking and you're trying to change that say that you realize how important relationships are and friendships are, and so you're trying to sort of kickstart that process in your life. I think a lot of people, well, I don't think, I know from experience that a lot of people really respect that. You know, they, they respect when you reach out and say, so I've been pretty bad at this. I'd love to sort of keep in touch from here on out. Sorry we met three years ago and I never texted you. And then they will be suspicious at first because it is weird to hear from somebody out of the blue, but since you then don't ask for anything, then their suspicion slowly subsides over time. You know, if they hear from you again in three or six months and you again don't ask for anything but an update on their life and you send them a photo of your kid or whatever, your dog, they slowly over time realize, oh, he really is just keeping in touch with me. She really is just a nice person who's restarting her network. That's great. I'm, I'm down with that. And then in two years, if you do get laid off and you reach out to those people, they're not like, oh, you were buttering me up for the last 26 months. You know, that doesn't make, that's nonsensical, <laughs> right. right? They understand at that point that you are now, that's digging the well before you're thirsty. They understand at this point now, okay, you really are down in your luck. This wasn't a trick. I guess one of the things that I've struggled with this too is, so, so you're trying to develop relationships with people, but there isn't much there because, okay, so you, you would do the initial outreach and you say, you know, I'm not really good at networking and I really want to stay in touch and, and all that. Okay, that's fine for that one, but then the next one is going to be what? It's going to be the same thing. Eh, just checking in to see how you're going. And to me, that's not really a relationship. That's just mm -hmm. touching base. Exactly. No, you're, you're onto something here. So that's why initially you can reach out and touch base with somebody and you can even do that once every six months or so. But the way that you dig this well thoroughly is not just by texting people once every six months. You do want to make things deeper. And the way that I do that it, with every single person in my life that I can is I want to elicit from them what they need, even if they don't necessarily know. And there's a lot of ways that you can do this, but one way that uh, is, is maybe a little bit on the nose, but easy for people to follow is you simply ask what somebody is up to and what they're working on. Because uh, if you say, what do you need right now? People go, I don't know, I, I, I need a vacation, LOL, right? But if you say, what are you working on right now? And they go, well, you know, I'm working on uh, this new keyboard design at Apple, but at home I'm building a, a, out, a outfitting my Airstream for camping, whatever, my camper van. You know, I've, I've gotten that example recently. And instead of going, oh, cool, here's a picture of my kid, I'll say, oh, you know, I have a friend who also has an Airstream and he lives in that thing in summer, literally. He drives all around the United States and he works from it remotely. Would talking with somebody who's got a you know several months of time involved in their airstream and works in there would that be a useful connection for you? And that person in this exact example said, "Yeah, that would be great because I'm trying to figure out what kind of how do I get internet there? Do I just use my phone? Am I going to have service here? And how do you use the power systems? Am I going to be able to use the air conditioner? And for how long uh, do I need an extra battery? Those are questions that I'll, often these people have to look for online. They can't find the right answer. So I will connect those two people." And that Airstreamer is, which is what they call themselves, is forever really indebted in a way for this very simple thing that I've done. All I've done was listen to them, uh, elicit their needs, connect them with somebody else in my network that may be able to help. And this can be for a hobby like Airstream, or it can be for business. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've referred my web team to somebody who's looking for a new website redesign, they see my site and they go, you know, I'm looking for a new website, who's your designer? Or they just say, oh, I'm working on my website and I'm, I'm running into all these hurdles and I'll say, you know, take a look at our site, our designer and our team is really good. I've referred them so many times that I think that, I'm almost certain in fact, that when we do eventually need a website redesign for jordanharbinger.com, I'm probably not gonna have to pay. I think I've sent him at least a dozen clients. Wow. And 
that isn't me going, hey, who needs a website? It's me listening to people. What are they working on? What are their headaches? What are their hurdles? What are their stopping blocks right now? Looking in my network, which literally just means thinking about who I know. This sounds very simple, and a lot of people think, oh, I do this already, but most people don't do it more than a few times a year. So I suggest making systems so that you're doing this, because a lot of people think, I'm good at networking already. I've introduced people to each other, but then when I really do a, like a calendar audit for some of these executives who I'm coaching or, or other entrepreneurs, I find that they've done it maybe once in three or four months. They think they do it all the time, but when you really look at it, it's not that common. I try to do this on a weekly basis, make an introduction. And, and it's quite easy to do if you are actively looking for the opportunity to do that for people. What do you think is the magic number for how many people you need to keep in your network and keep in touch with and, you know, basically keep juggling? And how many? I would say in my Rolodex, uh, my well, connectionfox.com is where I keep all my contacts. But in Connection Fox, I've got maybe 1,200, which either sounds like a heck of a lot or it sounds like not very much, depending on who you are. I don't need to know 20 web designers. I just need one good one that's reliable, right? I don't need to know 50 photographers. I need one or two in an area that are going to be reliable and do good work. You know, that's really it. So I would say I keep in touch with around 900, eight to 900 plus people per year, but I'm reaching out to maybe four people per day. And I'm talking about, I call this Drill Connect Four. Every morning when I'm on my walk, I go open my text messages app in my phone. I scroll all the way to the bottom. And at the bottom, those are those threads where it's like, you met at a lunch in 2017, but you never saved the person's number or you didn't keep in touch with them after the lunch. Those are those dead threads. I will reach out to four of those people per day and just say, hey, this is it's been a while. I didn't really keep in touch. You know, you're sensing a theme here. I didn't keep in touch. I would love to change that. We met at FinCon 2017. We had lunch at Cafe Gratitude in San Diego. What, what are you up to? Here's what I'm doing. You know, two sentences. Would love to hear what you're up to. No rush on the reply. I realize you're probably busy. About 75% of those people reply. So three out of the four. Uh, and of those three out of the four, we have a few lines of text conversation. You know, we're not setting up lunch dates or anything, but I'm just getting an, a touch, touching base with those folks. A few of them will never amount to anything in the future. There's just nothing that crosses our, our paths again. But you'd be very surprised at how often I will get a text out of the blue. Hey, three months ago when we talked, you mentioned that you were doing speaking. You know, I'm walking into my annual sales meeting right now. Would you want me to put your name in the hat for our keynote? Yes, please. Oh, hey, I'm meeting with the my cousin right now, and his boss at Spotify is in charge of podcasting. Is that a useful introduction for you? You know, good talking with you last month. Yeah, that would be amazing. These are real examples, by the way. These are not things I'm making up. You know, like if you're keeping in touch with 800 people a year, 40 of those people or more are going to be pretty good connections to have and to be top of mind, right? Since they've just spoken with me recently, I'm more top of mind and I'm better able to help them because they're top of mind for me too. So it's very easy to keep tabs on a large network like this. It's very easy to keep people engaged and to be engaged with them. And it's very easy to help them in, in a way that's scalable. You know, you're not making free websites or graphic design for everybody that you talk to. You're merely introducing them to other people that you know that can help them. And that is a great scalable way to build referral currency or social capital. And it doesn't come across as robotic or creepy or scammy because you're not doing it for yourself. Remember, you're doing it for them. So tell me a story about how it paid off in your life that that going through all the motions here really in a concrete way paid off for you i had a toothache and i started calling the dentists that were in the area and they were saying oh i don't you know i only take people with this kind of insurance well i'm booked up for two weeks ah, i don't do emergency dental um i don't have new patients you know whatever they would all tell me to go to the ER. And I remember hearing from my parents, hey, if you get a toothache and you go to the ER, they're gonna tie a string around it and then tie another string to the doorknob and just slam the door. You know, those kind of things your parents told you when you were a kid. So I'm like, I'm not going to the ER to get my tooth fixed. So I posted on Facebook and somebody that I've never met in my entire life who happened to listen to the Jordan Harbinger show said, uh, hey, my aunt's a dentist and she's kind of in your neighborhood. She's walkable from you. 
would you want me to introduce you uh, and, and you can call her and she, you, you can see if she can take care of your tooth? I said, yeah, please. So she opened up an hour early the next day. I walked over there. I ended up getting in the dentist chair and, you know, six, 600 bucks later, I had my toothache fixed or 800, whatever it was at the time. And I was very grateful to this guy. So I said, hey, I owe you one. Let me know if I can ever help you with anything. And he said, well, you know, I'm a barista right now, but I love graphic design. So if you have any graphic design jobs for me, let me know. And I didn't have anything for him. But a few weeks later, a friend of mine said, do you know anybody who does websites? Because my uh, designer crapped out and I've got three clients waiting and I'm stressing out and you've got a good website. And I said, look, we do ours in house, but I've got this portfolio of this kid. He's a barista right now. He's very hungry. He wants to do graphic design, but that, you know, that probably translates over to websites. You just might need a coder. And she said, I'll take anything I can get right now. So I made that introduction and he got a $80,000 plus a year full-time job, no longer making coffee, but doing graphic design for all of her client websites. I never met this person in real life and I never would have helped him or been able to help him find that job if he hadn't helped me find a dentist on Facebook. So you make your surface area for luck that much bigger when you're helping other people without the expectation of anything in return. So I would say never write off anyone because the investment you need to make to keep in touch with people is actually very, very low, right? I'm talking about, I talk to four or five people that I haven't talked to in a long time every single day and it probably takes me five minutes to send those texts, maybe eight. You know, this is very low time commitment. It would seem, though, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of people, that because you're putting in this work, even though it's, as you say, it's not a lot of work, but you're, you're giving and you're giving, and there's no instant gratification here. Your payoff, your reward may not come for a long, long time. And so consequently... After a while, it would seem like this would be really easy to forget to do, put it off, I've got something more important to do, because this really isn't paying dividends for me, at least not right away. Totally. That's why I always recommend people to schedule this. My calendar has a little 15-minute networking block every single morning. And so what I end up doing is I send my texts then, I make sure I'm going through my emails and looking for stuff I haven't replied to that's in that category, in that particular mailbox, whatever. And I make sure that I'm using these systems. Another thing that I do is I use social media. I, I let the algorithm give me some opportunistic engagement. So let's say I'm on Facebook or Instagram. They will pop up using their magical algorithm, the one that keeps us hooked, right? They'll pop up that somebody got a new dog or that somebody had a major life event or got married or something like that. Instead of clicking like or writing a comment that says way to go or sorry to hear that, I will send that person a text or an email instead. So who's more memorable? Somebody that texted them or called them or sent them a nice letter or note when they got married or one of the bajillion likes or comments on their Facebook picture that they might not have even bothered to look at. Well, it clearly is a commitment to doing this, and you do it, and you have been doing it for some time, so it must be rewarding to you and has paid off for you, or you wouldn't keep doing it. I found that this has actually been life-changing for me and game-changing for my business. You know, I've gotten a lot of opportunities that, frankly, I never would have had if I hadn't been out there kind of making tons of connections, having a lot more fun. I've made a lot more personal friends doing this, not just business folks. And candidly, when I've had big issues in my business or in my personal life, the number one thing that has gotten me through these, besides having a great wife and family, is being able to lean on my network. It's, it's been like an insurance policy that money could never buy. You know, I, I've hit some pretty hard times in life and in business, and the one thing that's really helped me climb back on top every single time is being able to reach out to a couple of hundred people and say, hey, this is what's happened. If you know anybody who does this or if you can help me with that, that would be greatly appreciated. And having literally hundreds of people reply back and go, hey, the least I can do after you introduce me to so-and-so or this is the, I'd love to help you because you helped me with this thing. These are a lot of interactions I don't even remember. And a lot of people helped me get back on my feet uh, financially and in business and, and have been great resources for me over the years solely because when I needed them, they were there because I dug the well before I got thirsty. So digging the well can take a backseat. But when you systemize it and you schedule it and you're using these little easy drills and exercises, some of which we explained here today, 
This builds up brick by brick over time. Well, your explanation of networking is very different than what I think a lot of people think of when they think of networking, and it's probably a lot more effective and, and takes even less time. Jordan Harbinger has been my guest, and Jordan is host of the podcast called The Jordan Harbinger Show, and there is a link to the website and the podcast in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for being here, Jordan. Thanks so much for the opportunity. This was a lot of fun. I know I and a lot of people have a tendency to keep receipts. It probably has to do with taxes and wanting to make sure that you have receipts for everything in case you claim a deduction on your taxes. But even though we get a receipt for almost everything, most receipts really can just be tossed out. Here are some guidelines. For cash receipts, if you use a money management software program, once you've entered that amount into your computer, you can toss the receipt. For clothes, once you've removed the tags and worn the clothes, there is no reason to keep a receipt. For restaurant receipts, you can keep those receipts and really any other charge card receipt long enough to check the amount against the credit card statement when it comes. But after that, unless it is a tax deduction, you can throw those receipts away. Business expenses, job hunting expenses, medical expenses, charitable donations, those receipts should be kept longer, at least long enough to discuss with your tax preparer to find out if you need them for tax purposes. Also, if you bought anything that came with a warranty, you'll need to hold on to the receipt until the warranty runs out. And that is something you should know. If you like this podcast, odds are you know other people who would too, and I'd appreciate it if you would tell them about it and tell them to check it out and give a listen. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you maybe buy a second property to rent out? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That, too, is a move. A smart move. Did you commute to work across state lines? You see, that's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's the definition of a move. Maybe you moved into a house boat instead of a house house. Or perhaps you crushed it in the stock market in 2023. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. Getting you every credit and deduction you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. Switch to TurboTax, make your moves, and they will make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen.